But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. Let's pray real quick. Father, I uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name and remember this most amazing of days that happened 2,000 years ago. I pray you'd open our hearts, um, open our eyes to see it afresh, that um, the good news wouldn't become old news to us today, but that we would be reinvigorated, re-energized with life and the promise that you've given us all. Have your way today in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I have a friend I was talking to a couple weeks back. Uh, He grew up in an affluent family. And he and his father, he was talking about the kind of estranged relationship that happened with he and his dad. And uh, in this neighborhood and with their family, every kid who graduated, the dad went out, they picked out a car, and they got a car on graduation day. So immediately I was jealous. I was like, dude, I wish I'd grown up in your family. That's amazing. But he said... Something happened, though, that caused all this strife with his dad and me. And it was on his graduation day, instead of a set of keys, his dad gave him a box. It was a gift-wrapped Bible. And he got so mad, and I think things had built up at this point. He got so frustrated, he threw the Bible down and didn't talk to his dad again. And it was two years later, he got word that his father had passed away. And so he was talking to me about all the difficulties of navigating the emotions of this. And he said, I went home and I'm going through my father's stuff, the things in his office, the things I've inherited. And I saw that old Bible sitting there on the desk. And when I pulled it out, a piece of paper fell out of it. And I picked it up and it was a cashier's check dated the day of my graduation for the car company where we were going to buy the car. And my dad had gifted me that. And And he said, and it just all hit me at once how much my father loved me, how much promise was there, and I had missed out on it all along. And over the next few days, that story haunted me as I thought about how many of us have, in our own ways, done the same thing with God, where we've literally tossed aside a wonderful promise. And why? Maybe it's because we didn't understand the promise, or maybe it's because we found those promises too good to believe but in our world, I think we're all taught, if it sounds too, be, uh, too good to be true, probably is, right? If you're bringing me good news, then I'm wondering what you're really trying to sell me. Where's the bait and switch? That's how our world works, isn't it? We tend to be skeptical because we see promises fail time and time again. The television, they try to tell you, look it, you can be handsome and sexy and rich and famous, Just buy our soap. 
right? Spray Axe body spray on, and hundreds of college co-eds will come flocking out of nowhere and tackle you because that is the power of Axe body spray. And I, I think we know that that stuff is silly, but there is a sense in which promises seem to mean less and less. We start to be leery of anything good. We start to feel skeptical. We harden our hearts. We don't want to be taken advantage of or let down. Can any of you identify with that, that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Mike and I were just talking about it. Um, we were at Kenny and Ashley's wedding, and we were like, man, when we were kids, they were telling us, you can be anything you want. President of the United States, an astronaut, rich, famous, whatever you want. And we're looking at each other like, it didn't quite turn out that way. I've got more gray hairs in my beard than I have dollars in my bank account. You know, you look at your life and you're like, man, where is the promise that I was living for? All this hope as a kid, all these dreams and life and reality has turned out a little differently than I imagined. It's like every broken promise starts to become a brick that we put in a wall around our heart to protect ourselves from being let down, being frustrated, and we become skeptical and even cynical. But Easter, this story we just read, tells us that God is different. Instead of promises full of emptiness on Easter, we see that God has emptiness that's full of promise. And maybe what we need here today isn't more irrefutable proof of the historicity of the resurrection or some mind-blowing revelation or new angle on the story. Maybe today, maybe we just need a moment. A moment to set down the skepticism that's replaced our wide-eyed wonder. A moment to lay aside our defenses and ask, what if? And to look at this story again not through the old eyes that we've heard it a thousand times, but through new eyes as if it was the very first time. To see this resurrection day through the eyes of the people who are actually there. So this morning, I want to take us on a journey through the promises of Easter. There are three of them. Each promise is marked by something that's empty. The empty promises of Easter. The empty cross, the empty tomb, and the empty burial clothes. And it's the very fact that these are empty that assures us of God's promises because those things couldn't hold Jesus. The tomb couldn't hold him. The cross couldn't hold him. He didn't need the burial clothes anymore so we can be sure of the fullness of God's promises in our life. So let's begin with the empty cross. And in this passage, we find some disciples of Jesus and they're walking. It's just before dawn. The sun hasn't even come up yet. And they've been walking probably for about a half hour or so, and the conversation's kind of muffled. And the task in front of them is a really sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus that's been broken and bludgeoned just a few nights before. And as they think about this, I mean, you might be able to imagine this scene with me. They come to the rise in the path at the top of the hill, and they all stop, motionless and quiet, because off in the distance... Just past the city, over to the right, stands a gruesome reminder of the events of Friday night. See, on that hill that the, the locals call the skull, stand three crosses that are a reminder of what happened on Friday night. And the, the crosses didn't get taken down because yesterday was Sabbath, and they're still standing there. If you would, just imagine that middle cross, because that's the cross that Jesus hung on. And up at the top of that cross, you might see some blood stains 
where the crown of thorns poked right through down deep into his skull and the blood ran down, or on the cross beams, on the sides, you see the blood stains where the, the nails pierced his hands. And the back of the cross is just covered in blood because his back had been opened like a plowed field by the Roman soldiers and the cat of nine tails. And you might even see a weird stain off to the left where the blood and the water ran down as a Roman soldier, wanting to make sure that Jesus was dead, jammed a spear right up through his ribs into the pericardial cavity. And blood and water ran out. And that blood and water, you know what that means. If you're a doctor or have a medical background, you know that that means the heart cavity had filled with, with water because of cardiac arrest. He was dead. The soldiers knew it. These guys were killing machines. And the cross was their instrument of choice. They knew when somebody was dead. The, the soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. The Jews knew it. Jesus really did die. And that's why I want you to see the cross this morning, because it's the place where he died. And today, as these women stare on, it's empty. It's, it's, it's empty of the body of Jesus, but it's full of the promise of Easter, the promise that you and I have hope. The empty cross is the truth that you and I stand forgiven because it was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for every moment of self-centeredness and brokenness in this sin that would drive us away from one another and from God. And I know sin is in a, you know, the most PC term. We don't really say sin anymore in our culture. It's a word that's not very politically correct, but the Bible says that every one of us is sin. That means me and you and the person to your right and left and behind you, you, you get the idea. Everybody in here, we've all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of God's glory. I remember uh, a few years ago, we, um, we had this home out in East County, and it was a fixer-upper. I mean, like, real fixer-upper. Black mold in the walls from the, you know, it's gross. And so we're ripping walls out. I'm learning all kinds of stuff about construction. We put the new flooring in, and in the bedrooms, we put this carpet. And my wife and I had chosen the carpet out, but it was, a, it was like a white beige carpet, which is a brave move when you have kids, you know? And so we told Lily and Ivan, we said, hey, guys, so... Look, don't wear your shoes on the carpet. Don't eat on the carpet. Don't, don't even look at the carpet. Just, <laughs> if there's any way possible, just float over it to your bed at night. And, you know, things got busy, and we're, we're hanging around. And, um, you know, when things get busy, rooms get messy, you just start to notice just, like, random little pile of stuff out in the middle of Lily's floor. And uh, one day I'm sitting in the living room, and I hear a blood-curdling yell, oh, my gosh! And I'm like, that's Nancy. Uh-oh, something's bad. So I go running in, and I see Lily standing there in her room. She's about four or five at this time. She's pale-faced. <laughs> Ivan, get in here! Ivan comes in, and he's standing there, like, terrified, right? And in the middle of that beautiful white carpet is a giant black stain. My father-in-law had seen fit to give my children a shoe shine kit. <laughs> so, <laughs> shoe shines, and, and then to make things worse, they had tried to clean it up and smeared it all into the carpet, and then didn't tell us about us for, for like a month, just stacked stuff around it. So, <laughs> is, 
I, I see, you know, you can cut the tension with a knife in the air, right? It's a horrific moment. You can feel the guilt and the shame and the fear. Have you guys ever felt a feeling like that before in your life? You know you got caught. It's funny, neither of them admitted it, so they both got in trouble. And um, I was telling Lily this story last night, because I was like, is it okay to share this story? I think it fits. And she said, yeah, and it was me. <laughs> All these years later. But I think we can, all, we can all relate with that guilty feeling because the truth of the matter is, in our own way, we've all stained the rug. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've done something wrong and committed sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we sin against our family, we get in trouble. When we sin against society, we go to prison or we pay a fine. And when we sin against our heavenly, perfect, loving, wonderful Father, who's given us life and breath and everything we need for life and godliness. There's a debt to be paid. That's, that's bad news. It's kind of how the gospel starts. The gospel starts by meeting us in our bad news. But there's this prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, and he says this, all of us were like sheep. We'd wandered off. We'd each gone our own way, but the Lord gave him, and he's talking about Jesus, the punishment we deserved. What's the prophet saying? He's saying, we've all wandered off. We've all done our own thing. We've said, no, thank you, God. Not your way. I will, my will be done. I'm going to have it my way. That's called sin. And here's the problem. According to God's law, the wages of sin is what? Yeah. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Elsewhere, it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. So because we've sinned, we deserve God's just punishment, eternal death. But there's good news. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? Yeah. Just like the story doesn't stop on Friday night, the story continues on Easter morning. The Bible says God so what? Loved the world. That he gave his only son. See, Jesus Christ came, and every day of his life, he lived a perfect life in the flesh. He never did one thing wrong, and he always did. It was good and right and perfect. And it wasn't to look at you and say, neener, neener, neener. You couldn't do it, so I did. Ha ha. It was out of love for you. He lived a life that we should have lived that we couldn't. And then he died a death in our place. That was expected of us. He died the death that we should have died. What a beautiful thing that it was on the cross that Jesus Christ offered his perfect, sinless life on behalf of each of us. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's been a lot of great people in the world, but no one has done what Jesus did. Not David, not Moses, not Isaiah, not Abraham, not Muhammad, not Buddha. No one has ever lived a perfect life and then offered his perfect life in our place for our salvation. That's why the Bible says in Acts 4, there's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. So when Jesus Christ on the cross cries out this last breath, it is finished. You know what that meant? It meant that the penalty was paid. You don't have to add one more thing. Can I get an amen? amen. You don't have to obey or give or serve or love in order to get anything. That's called religion, right? 
But the good news of the gospel is you've been freely given everything in Christ, and therefore you get to live a life that's full of love and obedience and sacrifice and service, not to get anything, but because you've freely been given everything at the cost of Jesus. Amen? On that cross, that empty cross, his blood was spilt for our salvation. One more scripture, he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Today, if you're in Christ, you stand here, you're sitting right now, forgiven, loved, righteous. If you could imagine, maybe some of you guys went to a schoolhouse like I did, they still use chalkboards, the slates, and, and then if you got in trouble, you had to like write what you did and what you would not do again on the chalkboard until it was filled. That, the truth of it is, like, a lot of us have that chalkboard in our life, and it's a big chalkboard of stuff that we're not really proud of, of stuff we wouldn't really want everybody here to know if it was broadcasted. Like, you're not going to go post it on your Facebook page tomorrow, right? That kind of stuff. Stuff you may have tried to forget. Stuff you may feel shame or guilt about in your past. Stuff you may be planning to do still. And the good news of the gospel is, firstly, yes, Jesus came and he wiped that slate clean and forgave us of all our sins. But if that's all we got, that's not really good news, is it? Because guess what? Tomorrow, I know I'm going to have a bad attitude. Somebody's going to cut me off on the freeway. I'm going to give them the universal symbol for one God. And, you know, I'm just going to have a bad day. And all of a sudden, I'm back in front of the chalkboard writing stuff in. The good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ came and he wiped the slate clean and he added his own righteousness. He filled that chalkboard up. So you're standing here today fully forgiven, fully loved, and fully righteous, not because of anything you or I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's the good news of the cross. That's the promise of the empty cross today. But it doesn't stop there. The first promise of the empty cross is that we have the promise of forgiven sins. But the second, the second promise, let's get back to our ladies. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way. Start walking down the hill, and um, in Matthew it records, one of the ladies says, how are we going to move the stone? Because this stone weighs probably between four and 5,000 pounds, right? And there's Roman soldiers standing there guarding it, and one of the other women said, maybe this soldier can move it for us, but... As they're walking, the Bible records in Matthew, in another passage, there was an earthquake, and the ground began to shake, like we sang about just a minute ago. And the stone was rolled away, but they didn't know this yet. They just felt the earthquake. What is going on? And they go running up to the clearing, and they step up onto the scene where a bunch of big, strong Roman soldiers are knocked out, laying on the ground. A stone is rolled away. And there's two men standing there in white, glowing like lightning, Scripture says. And listen to what the angels say. They say, do not be afraid. For I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Jesus had risen. He was alive. He wasn't there anymore. Think about what a tremendous promise that holds. The empty tomb holds a powerful promise of an unimaginable future. The resurrection of Jesus is a promise to every one of us that we too will be raised to new life. That's such good news. 
To those that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, death has lost his sting. That's what the Bible says. My dad tells this story, and uh, he said he and his, my grandfather, his father, uh, this is an old Swedish guy, one of those tough guys, carpenter. They're driving down a country road in Minnesota, and a bee got in the car. And my dad's freaking out, terrified. He's, he's probably around Gavin's age, about four or five. And my dad, or my grandfather, reaches over and, like Mr. Miyagi style, just grabs the bee out of the air. <laughs> and, and so my dad's sitting there, and he's got this sigh of relief. But then my grandfather lets the bee go. And it starts buzzing around again. My dad's like, that's cruel and unusual. Why would you do that? You know, he's, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, don't worry, son. And he hold, held out his hand. And in his hand was a stinger. And he said, I took the sting. It's, it can't hurt you anymore. And I love how my dad ties that in. And he says, guys, that's the truth of the resurrection, that God took the sting. He's telling you, son, child, don't worry anymore. I took the sting for you. There's nothing to be afraid of. Death has lost its sting. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus was alive. And the promise to us is we too can live even if we die. That's the second promise of Easter, the promise of resurrection. And it doesn't stop there because I think one of the pictures that's been painted for us is, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to heaven where we're going to float around on a cloud and play a harp for all eternity. As a disembodied spirit, that just, that sounds great, you know? Or maybe you view heaven as just an eternal church service where you got to sit and stand and sit and stand and sing songs. But the resurrection promises that the future is more amazing than we realize. And to point out to this, um, I love, I love literature. I'm a nerd, especially like ancient, like not ancient, but older horror literature like H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe. And Edgar Allan Poe, probably the most famous story is The Raven. Yeah? <laughs> the Raven? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I made those slides at like 2 in the morning last night. I totally forgot about them. And in this story of The Raven, you see this guy, and he's mourning the loss of this love. Uh, her name, I think, is Lenore. And this raven comes in and, and perches near him on the bust of somebody famous and, and says to him, you guys remember the famous line? He repeats over and over throughout the poem, nevermore, nevermore. Maybe I can get her back. Maybe I can find joy again, nevermore. And I think that, that illustrates a truth or at least a seeming truth of life that we run into, and that is the irreversibility of life. That on the, you know, the, the remote control, if you will, of life, there's no rewind button. Certain things come and they pass and it's, it's too late. Right? When you get old, your youth is seemingly gone forever. When something is gone, it seems to be irretrievable. When people die, irretrievable. And you get older and you look at your child like, like Mike and I were. Look back at your childhood and it's gone. Like... Frank Sinatra, right? Like Al Pacito's mom. Nothing lasts in this life. Things pass off the scenes. That's a quote from a Switchfoot song, by the way. You were like, how random is that? 
And in some ways, that, that seeming irreversibility of life, is, it's almost like a death in the middle of life. You experience these little moments of death and sorrow and brokenness. You lose something, it's just gone. But do you realize what the resurrection is? Even, even religions that promise you a sort of spiritual future or bliss, that's only consolation for what you've lost. But the resurrection is the restoration of what you've lost. You don't just get your body back. Right? And if you weigh 350 pounds today, like you're, you're glad that you don't just get your body back. But you get the body you always wanted. You don't just get your life back. But you get the life you always wanted. I, I have friends who, because they've been faithful to God, have decided that they're going to marry somebody who's a spiritual equal, who's, who's somebody who's in the same faith, a spiritual partner for them. And some of them may never get married because they've chosen to be faithful. So what should they say? Ah, man, I'm never going to have that joy. I'm never going to have that love. I'm never going to have that intimacy. Never. I've got, it's gone. I've lost it. Never more, never more. I have friends who've decided that their kingdom pursuits are going to limit the amount of time they spend at work. So instead of working 80, 100 hours a week to get ahead in this rat race, right, they work 40, 50 hours. Some of them may never achieve the great success significance, the financial freedom, the, the acclaim of people who think they're amazing. Some of them may never have that. What should they say? Well, I'll never have the acclaim I want. I never have the uh, success. I'll never be rich. I've lost it. It's gone forever. Never more. You know what the resurrection is? Jesus Christ is walking proof that you will miss nothing. It's not never more. It's, it, it's evermore. It's evermore. There's never going to be the love and intimacy like you're going to experience one day. In fact, this love and intimacy that we experience here pales in comparison. It's like a very dim signpost pointing to the true love and intimacy and openness and the knowledge that we'll have. There's going to be a wedding of the feast and there's going to be real wine there. Real joy. It's a faint signpost. What success, what security, what riches or acclaim and approval we taste here? It's just a foretaste. It's not, oh, I've missed out. Forget about it. No, you've missed nothing. It's all coming. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. It's not evermore. It's evermore. There's no religion, philosophy, or perspective that's offered the world this kind of future. It's certain. It's unimaginably wonderful. It is personal, and that brings us to our last point. The promise of the empty burial clothes. Back to our story. After the angel had spoken to the woman, they ran back to the apostles. And they share this story. And Peter and John don't even believe it, the text says. They're amazed by it. And they go running as fast as they can. And I can't do it because I'll break the mic system. But as fast as they can over to the tomb. And John stays outside. And Peter runs straight in. And guess what they find? It's empty. Nothing, except some burial clothes nicely and neatly folded. And what is that a promise of today? Think about that. It's a promise that Jesus was alive. I mean, if somebody had stolen the body, would they have unwrapped the burial clothes and folded them? I mean, maybe, but it's just weird. If, and it wouldn't be long before Jesus himself would appear, would it? Over and over to Mary Magdalene, to the apostles, to over 500 people at one time. And he'd sit with them and he'd talk to them. He'd listen to them. He'd take time to open the scriptures with them. 
In fact, I love just a, uh, like a page or so later after this, in the same chapter in the, in the story of Luke that we read, Jesus appears to his disciples, and they're terrified, right? And they're like, he's a ghost. And he says, hey, I, I love the way the King James says it. I'm not a ghost. A spirit hath not flesh and bones like I have. See, here, touch. See, the resurrection is not some disembodied spirit thing. It's, it's this life. It's this earth. It's heaven coming down into the earth and making all things new. It's what God intended with original creation, and it's life forever with the king. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, touch and feel that I'm real. And people do. In fact, it's, it's kind of funny. He even has this random passage in there where he says, and do you have anything to eat? So they gave him boiled fish, and he ate it. Why is that in there? What deep spiritual truth is that embodying? It's not. It's because it really happened. It's on the scene reporting. Jesus Christ came back and literally resurrected from the dead. That's the promise of the empty burial clothes. Jesus is alive and wants to have a relationship with you. He's not some nebulous force out there floating around, controlling things or touching people. Jesus Christ is a living Savior, and he wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us, just as he did with his disciples 2,000 years ago. Think about that. Just think about it for a second, the fact that the cross couldn't hold him, that the grave couldn't hold him, and that the burial clothes weren't necessary because Jesus was alive. He's so alive. When life's coming forward, he can't stop it. Randy and Sophia couldn't be here today because they were just in the hospital having their beautiful baby girl. Yeah. I can't imagine the pain that somebody goes through in their life. Only some of you women here know what I'm talking about. I hear it's the closest to death's door that you ever get. The pain is excruciating. It's horrific. Yet in that moment, life is coming forward, and there's no stopping it, is there? You can't just kind of push rewind and say, you know, I changed my mind, actually. I'm going to get unpregnant. That doesn't happen, right? When life's coming forward, nothing can stop it. And that's exactly what the tomb was like. Life was coming out of death and nothing could stop it. Jesus Christ rose. And that's the promise that we have today. His skin and bones, his face was recognizable. He talked and touched and loved and healed. And he did it the day of his resurrection and he still does it today. And he wants to walk with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to touch your life and heal you. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. Do you know Jesus? Not, not do you know about him. Like if I asked you, hey, how many of you guys know Donald Trump? You know, everybody's like, eh. Maybe you'd say, yes, you did. Maybe you wouldn't. But I'd wager to bet that none of you have actually met him or at least know him at a deep personal level, right? You know about him. We know things about Donald Trump, the most famous person in the world right now. But with Jesus, you can actually know him personally. And spoiler alert, he's very different than Donald Trump. So in case you're unaware of that, Jesus, he is full of love for you today. His heart is for you. He wants to touch you and heal you. You can know Jesus Christ. And he says this in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. 
And that first Easter, as the women went to the grave, I don't think they had any idea what was in store for them. They had no idea that off in the distance, as that empty cross stood there, that it was the promise of their sins and that they would be forgiven. They had no idea as they got to the tomb that was empty that it was a promise of their eternal life. And that inside, when his followers found the burial clothes, it was a promise that they could have a close personal relationship with Jesus once again. And the promise that they discovered is the same promise that stands here for you today. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have removal of that shame and guilt from your past. You can have eternal life and a promise of resurrection in the future. And you don't have to wait for that day. You can have a close personal walk with Jesus right now. You can be part of a family that's trying to figure out how to walk closer with him and with one another. It's a guarantee. This, uh, this past week, we ordered some new mugs because so, we wanted to give mugs out to everybody. And when the order arrived, we opened the box, and there was like two or three shattered mugs on the top. But I remembered discount mugs had a guarantee. They said, if we ship them to you and they break, we'll replace them. So I called them terrified of the runaround that I was going to go through for the next three days. And you know what was awesome? I love this. The lady said, how many broke in transit? Two. Okay, would you like us to ship two new mugs out to you, or would you just like a credit on the account? I was, I was like, are you serious? Is that easy? Like, you actually stand by your guarantee? Definitely give us a credit on the account, because we're ordering from you again, right? That, that's amazing. How many of you guys, you find a guarantee every once in a while, and people actually follow through and it means the world to you. See, God has made some outlandish promises and guarantees through Easter. We discussed three of them, the promise of forgiven sins, the promise of eternal life, and the promise of a personal relationship with Jesus. And my question to you today is this, will you take him at his word? Will you toss these promises aside like my friend did the Bible that his father gave him so long ago? Or will you pick them up and dust them off and discover the treasure that you've been missing? If so, I have one more promise I want to read to you from Romans. And Paul says in Romans, for everyone. Say this with me. Say, that's me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you've never accepted God's promises for your life, he's waiting. You don't have to wait any longer. Today is the day of salvation. It's yours for the taking. You can have removal of guilt and shame. You can have a close personal walk with Christ. You can have the promise of an eternity with him. Don't wait another day to know the joy of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I just want to pray over you real quick. As we all bow our heads, I want to give you a second to consider Maybe you've never identified yourself as a believer today, up until this point, but today might be the day you say, you know what? I'm ready to take God at his word. Or maybe you've heard the gospel so many times, the the shine has worn off, and it seems like the good news has just become old news, and it's lost its effect and its appeal in your life. I want to remind you that there might be areas where you feel like the grace of God can't reach, but you're loved and forgiven today. I want to remind you that you may be in situations that feel hopeless, 
But because of the resurrection, there is an unimaginable hope waiting for you for every aspect of your life and not just in the future, but for right now. And that you can walk with Jesus. You, you don't have to leave here alone today. You can leave here with a close personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Father, thank you so much that it was love. Love that caused you to send your son to come and live a perfect life in my place and to die a death on a cross that should have been me, to trade places with me as it were, to allow him to be sin who knew no sin and then to kill him for what you made him so that I could become righteous. But, but that same love didn't let the story stop there. That three days later, you vindicated him. You raised him up from death with the power of, of death, hell, and the grave. And there's nothing that we have to fear if we are in him. That the whole world, the whole world is yours. And we are your children. I pray that some of us would start to catch sight of that promise today, whether it's the first time or the thousand and first time, that today as, as we take time to pray and take communion and sing together, Holy Spirit, I pray you would do a work that this guy up here with a microphone can't do, that you would nudge our hearts, warm our hearts, help us come out from behind those walls that we've built up of skepticism and cynicism and, and moving on past Christianity and I'm, I'm done, I've had it to come out and to see you, to recover some of that wide-eyed wonder that we had as kids, to know that everything's possible because you're our dad, that you took the sting on for us so we wouldn't have to. Free us from fear. Fill us with your love. Have your way in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.